Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. Mark your calendar for Saturday, May 19th at 5 p.m. We're having a community picnic with food, music, fun, and family. Open your Realm app and find the notification to RSVP. We hope you enjoy this powerful message from Pastor Kyle McCain. Good morning and welcome. I'm so glad that you are with us uh, today. It is always uh, my joy to be able to bring the word. I'm Pastor Kyle, and if you are visiting with us uh, today on this special day, I'm glad that you are here. Um, We are in the middle of a, no we're not, we're at the end of a sermon series that we started several weeks ago that we simply called Alive. And what we were doing was we were trying to key on some um, to focus on some key uh, encounters with the risen Lord that, that made a difference uh, in uh, the lives of those who met with Jesus. And so you may recall that in the first week we looked at the story of Nicodemus where Jesus said to him, you must be born again, and then the, the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, and then last week where the friends lowered uh, the paralytic through the uh, roof to get the, his, their friend to Jesus. They were not going to be stopped. And uh, so today, we're going to, uh, ra- I'm going to wrap it up today uh, on a passage that probably is familiar to you. Um, and so I'm going to ask you to stand uh, as you are able in honor of the reading of the Word. It, it comes to us from um, Luke's writing in uh, the book of Acts. So this is like volume two for Luke, and uh, I always recommend that Luke and Acts be read together because that was the way they were written. And uh, it is a wonderful story of the gospel and then the movement of the Holy Spirit which uh, created the church. So here now, uh, chapter 9, I'll read the first 20 verses. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing uh, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if... He found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they had heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Get up, uh, go, for he is an instrument 
whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings, before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We work pretty far out on both our sermon text and themes and sermon series and and the preaching schedule. And yet when I saw this on the calendar at the same time that I was going on vacation, I thought, well, that's no big deal, I can handle it. But I just spent three days in the woods with my kids uh, hiking and camping without a computer and electronics and no internet signal, and it wasn't as easy as I thought. So uh, I, uh, I have been studying this passage for weeks, uh, almost to death. And, and the thing that's been so beautiful about it is each time I've gone through it and discussed it with maybe some of you in a class or a group, I've seen new things, and God just continued to open my eyes to see more and more uh, in this passage. And... Like Shane last week, it's so rich that you could preach multiple sermons for it um, or from it. But as I pointed out to Shane last week after he did that, if you were here, he preached four sermons. That's not allowed in seminary, let me just tell you. Uh, And so he admitted that uh, later on in the week. But uh, there's so much depth to this passage. And so I probably will not do it justice, but uh, I'm going to take a crack at it anyway, and I pray that the Lord will move uh, in your hearing uh, to hear what it is that He would have you to to know and understand. So so this is a story that we may be familiar with. Um, um, It is uh, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, but it it precedes his name change when he was just Saul. And Luke introduces him earlier in his writing, somewhere around chapter 5, I think, um, at the stoning of Stephen. So Stephen was one of the disciples, and he was given testimony to the Sanhedrin or the council of Jewish leaders. And they were so infuriated by his preaching of what he had said, that Jesus is the Messiah, that they, there was a mob that broke out in violence, and, and he ended up being the first Christian martyr, the first person to die for the faith. And, and um, Luke tells us that, that Saul, Paul, was there giving his approval. I think one of the, the readings says that he was standing there holding the coats, but what, what it meant was he, was he was there on behalf of the temple giving his approval to this murder, to this act. And so um, he was part of that Jewish council 
the one that we preached about a few weeks ago with Nicodemus, where it said Nicodemus was part of the Jewish council, and he came at night to Jesus. Well, Paul was part of the same council. And so that event, that stoning of Stephen, Stephen's death, it caused the, the movement, this the way, uh, to explode out of Jerusalem and into the far reaches of the hill country. And so Paul um, went to the temple leaders and, and got authority to pursue them. And armed with the full power and authority of the temple rulers, and the chief priest in particular, Paul leaves Jerusalem intent on hunting them down and, and bringing them back and punishing them and perhaps even murdering them. And so he's on the road to Damascus when suddenly, out of nowhere, there's this flash of light that knocks him to the ground. And Jesus addresses him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in this question, Jesus is aligning himself with the believers. Because after all, Paul is pursuing the believers. And so Jesus says, why are you pursuing me? Why are you persecuting me? And so now Jesus has aligned himself with the believers. And this reminds us over in Matthew's text where, where Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, my brother, what you do or you do not do for the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. Christ is always standing in solidarity with the believers who are typically those out on the margins and who have been uh, cast aside. And then like we often do, Paul answers the question with a question. A couple of weeks ago, as we saw the Samaritan woman change the subject when the questions got hard. Paul says, who are you? And revealing his identity when he says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Jesus tells Paul, get up and go to Damascus and you will see or you will be told what you must do. When Paul got up off of the ground and he opened his eyes, he wasn't able to see. He was blind, is what the text tells us. So his companions led him to Damascus. And Luke tells us that Paul remained blind, not eating or drinking, for three days. Three days. Does that sound familiar? Three days is a, uh, um, a, a thing it's a, that we see, the word just skipped my mind, the, there is this, this common theme throughout Scripture, an occurrence, this three-day theme of when something is about to happen. After all, Jesus was in the tomb, how long? Three days. Jonah, three days, okay? So Luke wants us to know there is a death happening here. And it's right there that I sort of want to camp out. I want to, I want to put my flag in the ground there on that moment before we get to the theme of our sermon series titled Alive because there is a death happening that Luke insists that we see. Now this story is t told and retold 
Two other times in Acts, in 22 and 26, and again over in Galatians, Paul tells it himself. So it's told in the first person. And it's a little different when Paul's telling it. But this is how Luke heard it when he was doing his investigation. And so in the other passages where Paul is telling uh, of this conversion, and by the way, this is not a conversion from Judaism to Christianity. Let's, let's be clear. This is, this is a belief or a, a disbelief that comes to a belief. It's kind of like Thomas, where he, he just didn't believe and then he did believe. Because Paul was still a Jew on the other side of this event and still practiced faithfully. So, so this is not, we don't want to misunderstand this of being Paul leaving Judaism behind and heading towards Christianity. That would be dualism and we don't think like that. And so Paul establishes himself. He goes to great lengths to establish himself as a scholar and a teacher of the law. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee. It was generational for him. And he had great pride in the fact that he he knew what he was teaching. He knew what he was talking about. And he called attention, especially in one place, to to a man named Gamaliel, who was a highly respected Pharisee, also of the same council. And when the council was deciding earlier in this story of what to do with Peter and John after Pentecost and they were professing the name of Christ in the synagogues and they brought them before the leaders, and then when they were trying to decide what to do with them, it was Gamaliel himself who cautioned them, saying, Be careful. If this, this, this movement, this message, this word, is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you yourself will not be able to stop it. In fact, you may find yourself fighting against God. A very wise man, no doubt, looking back at the story. And so at the moment of Paul's encounter with the risen Lord, he was acting on behalf of of the religious leaders, the establishment, the status quo. And he was certain of his position as a defender of God. He was was passionate, he was educated, he was right, and he knew it. He stood with the temple leaders while Jesus stood with the believers, and there's a tension there, and we can't miss it. It is where this death occurs. Paul would ultimately discover it was the arrogance of his certitude rooted in his own understanding of the Torah that was making him blind. And this was about to change. Jesus' disciples, His followers, and us, we, we very rarely have the luxury of certainty. Because it doesn't take you very long as you read Jesus' story with His disciples where He keeps moving the boundaries. 
He, he keeps tearing down the, the barriers and the boundaries and, and keeps opening wider the gate to this, this kingdom of heaven that he has come to proclaim and to usher in. The kingdom of God has come, Jesus said. And, and here's what it looks like. And, and it just keeps getting wider and those on the outside are finding their, their way in and they're being included instead of excluded. I mean, he went to Samaria. He spoke to a woman. He refused to condemn the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. He said, let the children come to me when the disciples were trying to push them out. He touched the lepers. He didn't have a problem with dead bodies. He he had dinner with with, uh, sinners and, and tax collectors. Jesus just kept destroying this certainty of this is how the faith is supposed to be. And they are on the outside. He stood in solidarity with the people who the, the religious people wanted to remain outside the establishment. But before God could use them, Paul would need to see things differently. The light that struck him was the same light that helped him regain his sight, but his vision would never be the same. In the sending of Ananias to Paul to lay his hands on him and to restore his sight, when he said, Brother Saul, he called him Brother Saul, He had already received Paul. His identity had just changed. He had already received him into the community of faith. That is the power of the light at work in the believers. And so when the scales fell off, Paul was able to see the old. Remember, he's still a Jew. He's still a teacher of the law. He still has an education of Torah. But he's now able to see it through the eyes, the new eyes, the light of Jesus. And that changes everything. This is is the light that gives new birth. That gives birth to new life. An encounter with Jesus helps us to see things with new eyes. Of course, he went on to become the most powerful single voice in the movement of the Christian faith and and the Christian church and the establishment of the Christian church. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. But that was all after he had this encounter with Christ where he now was able to see more clearly through the light of Christ. The most recent uh, seminary class that I just finished a couple of weeks ago was a study of the mission of the church. And I I found it to be very interesting. And one of the books that we read was, uh, was about the state of Christianity globally. And so as we struggle here with a decline in church attendance and the number of folks who who, who check the box, none as to the question, um, your religious affiliation. 
we find that Christianity is alive and well around the world. So much so, in fact, that one scholar concluded that Christianity is flourishing where the people are faithful to the mission. Ow. I don't know how else to interpret that. When, when Christianity is on fire in Africa and Asia and Latin America and South America, and yet we're constantly wringing our hands on the decline of church attendance in this country, and he comes to the conclusion it's not Christianity. Christianity's not the problem. It's the holders of the gospel. Right? It's, it's those who are tending it. And so I think we have some questions to answer in light of that. He defined mission as the work of God in reconciling all of humanity to Himself. This is the thing that Gamaliel was speaking about. If this is of God, you cannot stop it. God will get God's work done. The question is, will you be a part of it? The global center of Christianity is shifting. And by 2050, it is predicted that it will no longer be North America, but it will be South. It will be South. Africa, Asia, Latin America. And we are seeing that now in our own denomination. We're seeing it. It's happening. But we can rest assured, again, that Christianity is not dying, that uh, the gospel is alive and well. You will recall in Pastor Shane's first message in this series, that when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, he said, you must be born again. New life for us, the church, and for God, rests in our willingness to die to our old certainties, our own understandings, and allow the Spirit of God which is at work in us from the moment of our baptism, when we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to give birth to something new. Will we allow the Holy Spirit work within us to be part of the mission of God and not necessarily the missions of the church, which is the busyness that we do in the name of Christ that may or may not necessarily even, even move someone into a relationship of Christ or with Christ because that is of God too. We don't win souls for Christ Christ wins them for Himself through the obedience of His people. Amen? So we've got to get over ourselves. There's, there's typically uh, two postures. There's typically two postures that are going on right now. Because let's face it, American Christianity as we know it is dying. You can deny it or not, but it is happening right in front of us. And so there are two postures. And so there's this one posture that maybe if we repackage it, change the music, change the building, you know, change the lighting, change the pastor, maybe soften the message, 
maybe it'll be more attractive and more people will come. That's this one posture, right? So in the seven years I've been a pastor, let me just, pastor, let me tell you, we've spent a lot of time over here. More meetings than I can count. And then there's this posture over here and some of the great scholars I'm really enjoying uh, reading. Uh, Dr. Elaine Heath is one of them who is now the uh, dean of Duke Divinity School, but I started reading her years ago. She recognizes that it's okay because with death comes new life. And so there will be this, this birthing of the faith coming out of this death, right? Even Isaiah says he raises up out of the ashes of our lives. And so God is going to raise up something new. And so the question is, what is our role? Where will we be? How will we participate there's this, uh, there's this book that I'm, I'm reading right now called The Rebirthing of God. It is sort of in this context of the study that we just did in our mission uh, class. And uh, the, the writer John Philip Newell suggests that the primary feature to this rebirthing is, uh, that, that the world so desperately needs is a return to relationship. Relationship with God through Christ and relationship with others. At our moment of conversion, this is what God calls us to. He calls us into this relationship with, where, with Christ where we can continue to, to get our sight. We can see and understand better and more clearly. And, and the old things that we used to think are now shaped by the new understanding through the lens of Christ and, and what He did for us on the cross. And so there's this, this relationship that has to happen. And so it speaks against the idea that we're called to just drag everybody into the church and huddle up and nod our heads and agree with each other. This is a call to be in ministry in the world. We're sent people, our neighbors, the place where we get our dry cleaning done, where we go to eat, where we have our tires changed and our vehicle serviced. That's where the mission field is. And I'm not talking about evangelism in a way that is offensive. I'm talking about knowing the names of the people you encounter every day from the person who checks you out at the grocery store to the teller at the bank. Slow down. See them. See all the people that are right in front of us and listen. You may see an opportunity to share the love of Christ into a crisis, into a life that is searching for something different. I mentioned this the last three days that I was, I was in the woods with a, uh, with a couple of my kids and, uh, you know, all of my kids are millennials. And, and so we have this wonderful conversation uh, about the church and, and about their friends and, and how do we, gra- you know, bridge this gap. And, and I'm finding from all of them, without fail, they are all telling me their friends are interested in God. They are searching desperately. They just aren't convinced it's in the church. That's on us. And so there, there's another, uh, there, in the same story uh, book, there is another idea that the future of the church is out there. It's out there. Because this thing that we call American Christendom 
is dying, where to be a Christian is to be a good citizen, you know, to, to pay your bills and pay your taxes and vote and stay out of jail and all that, uh, those are not synonymous in the world where we are heading. And there are people who will never find their way to the church that are desperately seeking something different. And the truth is, what they're seeing in their Christian friends and neighbors and relatives is not all that attractive. I mean, we have to own that. It doesn't look a whole lot different from what they're seeing in the secular world. See, that's what was going on in this story. This, this movement of God was exploding because it was attractive and those that were hopeless were finding their way into it because it was something that they could grab hold of because they were outside of the system, they were outside of the status quo. And that, brothers and sisters, is where Christianity is growing again. It is where people are desperate for hope. And we're not all that hopeless here. We're doing pretty well. And so that's what's going on. That's where the tension is. It's not about the preacher or the music. It's, it's that we've softened the message. So later on in this text, Jesus said, Go and tell him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We don't talk much about suffering for Christ. But that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Deny yourself and suffer for the Lord. To be in that tension all the time with what the world is telling you and what Christ is calling you to through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've completely lost my place. This is a message that God has been writing on my heart for weeks. Jill and I went to the Hall family farm last week just to pick up some strawberries on the way home. We were having a great time being outdoors. It was a beautiful day. When all of a sudden we looked around and realized we were in the minority. Our community has changed, brothers and sisters, and I'm talking about a mile from here. Folks from all over the world are finding their place, their way here into Ballantyne and South Charlotte and, and Indian land. They're just right there. And until we step out and become, in, you know, to engage in relationship with them, they will not care what we know about this Jesus who they may or may not have ever heard of. I'm looking to see if I have enough time to keep going. <laughs> I had this wonderful experience. There was a, uh, an Indian fellow that found his way to the church and, and uh, we had an opportunity to spend some time together over a few weeks. He, ser he uh, served in our backpack ministry and... Um, and I said, you know what? I am going to engage him and learn more about him and know him. And it is probably one of the most profound three or four or five weeks, however long it was, experiences that I've had in engaging someone who is not like me than I think I've had in a really, really long time. I mean, my conversion that led to me being in this place happened up in the mountains in western um, Virginia a long time ago where I was with people that weren't like me and it absolutely broke my heart. And so I spent some time with this, 
this, this man, and he told me he was Hindu, and, and we had a, a wonderful time over the next few weeks learning more about each other. And the fact is, he was raised by Catholic nuns in a school from kindergarten to the 12th grade. And he was such a gentle and sweet spirit and loved Jesus, but he was still Hindu. And I would have never experienced that or understood that had I not been in relationship with him. And it wasn't my job to convert him to Christianity. But I saw him. There, he, You may know this. There is a phrase, a greeting, namaste, that they use. And, and it means the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. That is a powerful message. We are all, God breathed life into all of us and the divine dwells within us. The problem is it's covered up with so much junk, you don't recognize it. We can't see it in each other until we start stripping away some of the stuff. So this rebirthing is a great theme for Mother's Day. And I didn't realize it until I was on the way here this morning. This message just keeps building and it keeps building. God as mother is constantly giving birth to new life, new creation. He's still in the business of creating. And Paul's story shows us once again that God can use anyone. The power of Christ at work in our lives can be a far greater witness to others than anything we could possibly ever say. Let's pray. Oh God, for the truth of this message, that you are at work still this day, creating and and birthing new life, in us and through us and around the world and next to us and right before us. God, I pray that we would have the courage to participate. God, that we would die to our certainties, that we would die to ourselves and our own desires, and that we would live a life open to whatever you might be willing to do through us. In Christ's name I pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, you can find out the latest Harrison happenings online at harrisonchurch.org or you can visit us on our Facebook page. Have a great week.